yet another anime podcast. Just who the hell do I think I am? I'm Ninja Boy, and I'm yet another anime podcast host. So, first off, I hope everyone's hanging in there. I know the world right now feels pretty messed up uh, place to be. And, you know, before we get to the meat of this episode, I just wanted to remind everyone out there to be excellent to each other. And if someone you know is hurting or needs help, uh, to listen to them and do what you can to uplift the voices of those who need help amplifying their message. Um, and now with all that, let's get into the meat of this episode and talk about a one particular anime that's, I think, super important for any anime fan to, at the very least, give a watch at least once, even if it may not be your sort of choice. When I was in college, my friend Nick invited me and my roommate Michael over to his dorm one night to show us this anime that he said we absolutely needed to watch. Uh, he wasn't normally an anime fan by any means, you know, but apparently this was really the only series he liked. Um, so I was pretty intrigued. Uh, we flipped to Netflix, and what unraveled before my eyes was what was about to become one of my all-time favorite anime, bar none. After that first episode, uh, we would come back over the next couple of weeks and just make sure to watch each episode in succession together. After you know, staying up late to study, um, you know, in this show, a young boy reluctantly enters a giant robot powered by his own spirit uh, and fights off strange creatures that threaten humanity uh, while coming to grips with loss and growing up and uh, grief and everything else you know required to grow up before you know everything goes wildly out of control in the last few episodes i am of course talking about tengen tapa gurren lagan uh, now, if you saw the episode title before listening to this, you'll know that this episode is in fact not about Tenga Topa Gurren Lagan, but actually about Neon Genesis Evangelion. I bring up Gurren Lagan because it and uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion are sister series from the same studio, Studio Gainax. And while I had not seen Evangelion up until the last couple of weeks in, pre in preparation for this episode, as Gurren Lagan was a huge influence on me personally, I can totally understand why many people cite Evangelion as one of their most influential series on them for given the various similarities. Um, you know, it also cements Gainax and their spiritual successor, Studio Trigger, uh, as one of my favorite production studios in the industry. I definitely can't wait until BNA, uh, their newest work, hits Netflix worldwide later this month. Uh, I'm sure I'll eventually do a studio highlight on Trigger and Gainax, and we'll probably do a deep dive on Gurren Lagann in the same way I'm doing a deep dive on Evangelion with this episode. But for now, I I'd always wanted to watch Evangelion, and this podcast pretty much gave me an excuse to make time to watch it um and so yeah let's dig into evangelion and why it's worth watching and how it changed the mecha anime genre as well as the nature of being an anime fan itself uh you know, before we get into the meat of it, though, uh, you know, a lot of what makes it special and worth watching uh, requires, you know, a little bit of background context. You know, for this bit, I'll be referring to some video essays by YouTubers Anime Every Day and Giguk. Um, and throughout the rest of the episode, I'll also refer to other video essays throughout this episode, uh, which I'll link in the show notes. So, fun fact, the first anime I ever remember watching growing up were two of the three famed Robot Romance Trilogy, a collaboration of giant robot series between Toei Studios and Sunrise in the late 70s. Uh, specifically, uh, I'm talking about Toso Daimos and Voltus V, which particularly the latter was super popular in the Philippines where I was at the time. Uh, frankly speaking, I didn't understand a lick of what was going on. Uh, I was living in the Philippines but did not understand Tagalog, and so my siblings and I would tune in every Friday 
Friday night to GMA at 7 p.m. and watch Voltage 5 and Diamonds go on in Filipino um, as these series were rerun in the night in the late 90s. And we were enthralled by the accident on screen. You know, we we picked up also this the series in the middle of what was going on. So we had no idea who was on screen, what their background was, why they were fighting, who they were fighting, what the resolution was. But frankly, we didn't care. You know, I can definitely trace my love for mecha anime as a whole back to these early series, which eventually got replaced by Pokemon and Digimon in that time slot as the series completed. Um, but yeah, I bring these series up though as a waypoint into the history of mecha anime, uh, which Evangelion plays a huge role in. So anime has long been synonymous with battling robots. I mean, you know, the first really popular anime was Tezuka's Astro Boy, which is literally about a robot in the 60s. And things kind of spiraled out from there. Um, it's kind of a common joke online that if someone's going to develop the giant robots to fight off the alien invaders, it's probably going to be Japan because it's kind of in their DNA. You know, into the 70s, Mecha shifted more toward what's known as the super robot genre, uh, with perhaps the most famous of this being Mazinger Z, uh, designed by director Go Nagai. Um, the logic of exactly how the mechs in the series work kind of is hand-waved away in favor of rule of cool, uh, especially when it comes to uh, the main way that these shows made money, which was selling toys and action figures of the robots to children. If it was colorful and bombastic, it worked, it would be in the show. You know, toward the end of the decade and into the 80s, uh, mecha anime then sifted a little bit more toward what's known as the real robot anime genre. Um, the designs of mech were a bit more grounded and more effort was put into explaining the me mechanics of the mechs. They treated more like vehicles than, you know, like things with personality. Um, Gundam, directed by Yoshiyuki Tomino at Sunrise Studios, is the headline series for this and indeed kind of for the broader mecha genre as a whole, um, as well as kind of the aforementioned robot romance trilogy acting as a bridge between, you know, the super, having definitely having super robot elements uh, following Monster of the Week uh, with, you know, kind of unexplained mechanics, but with a little bit more of a uh, story around the human characters and the con human condition and character conflict. Um, you know, the merchandise around these series also shifted as it targeted a more adult audience since kids weren't as interested in the uh, more serious war, war story. Um, and so adults you know, ended up buying what became known as the Gunpla uh, model kits, which required assembly. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how the mech evolution evolved you know, up until you know, the 80s or so. Uh, putting a pin in that, so we'll come back to this. Um, let's zoom into uh, one very small specific aspect of the anime industry at this time, even smaller than just one genre. We'll look at the work of some university students that called themselves Daikon Film. So this group of students, um, they would go, they would, their first work would be producing an animated short for the 20th annual ja Japan National Science Fiction Convention, uh, also known as Daikon 3. Featured a young girl who fights giant robots and aliens in a spaceship shaped like a Daikon Radis, uh, including, you know, Star Wars, Gundam, and Godzilla. Um, you know, stuff that, you know, nerds and otaku at the time would be into. You know, later on, this group of students would then produce another film, Daikon 4, for the 21st annual sci-fi convention. It follows the same protagonist, you know, a little bit more grown up, with even more pop culture references. Um, definitely make time to go find these on YouTube. They're definitely worth checking out as a bit of anime history. You know, these guys were very much engrossed in pop culture and in science fiction uh, fandom at the time. They were, you know, otaku, nerd, whatever you want to call them. And they were super proud of it, clearly, um, and well versed in all the tropes and conventions of anime. Uh, these guys would eventually go on to found what was known as Studio Gainax. 
so, you know, Studio Guy Access initial commercial work beyond this fan project uh, was the mo- uh, movie Royal Space Force, The Wings of Honames. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, which was critically praised but failed to reach profitability. Uh, the studio continued on with making OVAs, including the successful mecha series Gunbuster, uh, which is the directorial debut of one Hideaki Anno. Remember that name. Uh, they also had another series, Otaku no Video, which kind of parodied the lifestyle of otaku, something that they themselves would have firsthand experience in. Um, they then hit a bit of financial issues between failing to get the sequel to The Wings of Honor Maze and... Uh, you know, movie off the ground, as well as a very stressful series uh, production of Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water. Uh, this was an anime based on the works of Jules Verne with a concept um, by Hayao Miyazaki, um, apparently by the end of the television series. And there was an internal power struggle that saw one of the founders of the studio having to leave. And the studio was 80 million yen in debt. Um, so even when they got approached to make a movie and got a 50 million yen advance, they were still 30 million million yen in the hole at this point. Um, Hideaki Anno, who we talked, who had done Gunbuster, was kind of roped in almost unwillingly uh, to work on this project. Uh, Miyazaki had kind of been a mentor to him up to this point, so that's kind of why he, he got looped in. Um, and, you know, uh, reportedly after all of this stress, he kind of fell into a bit of a depression, you know, partly because there was a bit of lack of creative control over the direction of Nadia. Uh, you know, shortly after this, you know, King Records, which is, you know, the, the music label, um, you know, they ended up, one of their reps ended up getting drinks with Anno one night, and they kind of asked him, like, hey, can you give us something? We have a time slot on, on television. We want to run something there. Can you or Gainax give us something or anything? Uh, they promised him complete creative freedom. And so, yeah, that kind of sets the stage to better understand Evangelion. Um, also, a little bit of a warning, there will be you know spoilers for the series proper kind of starts after this point, so you have been warned. Neon Genesis Evangelion is a 26-episode television series that began airing in 1995, you know, followed by several movies, but we'll get to those in a little bit. Uh, the television series is set in the alternate post-elliptic world of the future world 2015. In 2015. Uh, in 2000, there had been some mysterious incident called the Second Impact that killed off a significant portion of humanity, melted ice caps, and in general left the world a pretty bad place to live in. You know, on top of that, there were now some giant inhuman beings called angels that seemed to be hellbent on attacking humanity, specifically uh, this area called to- that was rebuilt Tokyo called Tokyo 3 um, for reasons unknown at the beginning of the series. You know, the first episode opens on Tokyo 3 being attacked by those angels as our protagonist, 14-year-old Shinji Ikari, comes into town after being summoned by his father, Gendo Ikari. Uh, He finds that he has been called to pilot the giant mecha, uh, the Purple Evangelion Unit 01, which in order to fight the angel attacking them. You know, at first he's pretty freaked out and initially refuses uh, to get in the robot, which spawns, you know, the meme again in the fucking robot Shinji. Um, but eventually he acquiesces as another teenage pilot, Rei Ayanami, is sent to replace him despite being super injured, so he decides, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and do this. Um, the series proceeds on from him as he grapples with what he's actually going to continue to fight in the robot as more angels attack Tokyo 3, and more pilots join the rank including Asuka Langley Soryu, the pilot of the Red Evangelion Unit 02. There's also like a hidden kind of conspiracy theory going on that you kind of learn about as the as the show goes on, but I won't get into too much detail yet, just so you can kind of discover that on your own.
Now, given that we know that Anno and the other folks at Gainax were massive otaku and would be very well aware of the tropes of mecha series, uh, it kind of, you know, Evangelion at first glance kind of plays into a lot of the typical tropes. You know, a young male protagonist who is the chosen one to pilot a one-of-its-kind robot to face off against some fatty humanity is called into action. Um, that you know, again, that fits the typical skeleton of a mecha series up until this point, you know, Gundam in particular, uh, with Amuro Rei uh, being the main protagonist there. However, where a lot of mecha shows up to this point are some degree escapist fantasies, you know, even with the more mature themes in robot series, real robot series such as Gundam, at the end of the day, the protagonist will usually tend to accept his destiny for the good of mankind um, and save the day, fall into his role, mature, yada, yada, yada. Uh, here, Evangelion plays it pretty straight and, you know, in my opinion, pretty realistically, you know, in what many call a deconstruction of the mecha robot genre, uh, specifically the real robot mecha genre, even though that term is a little bit overused, in my opinion. Um, I mean, if you think about it, in you know any honest-to-goodness, realistic 14-year-old thrust in that situation has a pretty good chance of freaking the fuck out, uh, if you'll pardon my friends. You know, sir, we'd all like to think that we'd rise to the occasion and hop in and save the day all gung-ho, but when push comes to serve, you know, who's to say what we'll, what we'll actually do? So I think when people are saying, you know, Sinji's being a little bitch, uh, that characterization you see online kind of misses the point of the series where, you know, this kind of is the portrayal of what really would happen if a real 14-year-old boy was thrust suddenly into the situation without a lot of explanation. Uh, Evangelion is also very much a work of Anno from this time in his life. You know, remember he wrote the series kind of when he was dealing with uh, heavy depression after some, you know, some setbacks uh, with Nadia and, and other stuff going on in his life. Uh, between his depression and his newfound interest in psychology and psychoanalysis, thanks to some books lent to him by friends, you know, he's explicitly stated that the theme of Evangelion is "do not run away." Sinzi, uh, in fact, mutters this phrase to himself several times over the series. I think they're like three or four different times throughout the series. I lost track of how many times he runs away, then comes back, then runs away, then comes back uh, as he struggles to choose to, whether or not to say the pilot unit zero one. Um, so yeah, uh, Anno's interest in psychology and philosophy, particularly those of Sigmund Freud, uh, Schopenhauer, and Kierkegaard is woven all throughout the show in episode titles and anecdotes such as, you know, the Hezhog Dilemma, um, as well as, you know, various religious imagery of, the, of Jewish Kabbalah and Christianity, you know, just adding more layers like an onion for the show to for the audience to tear apart when watching the show especially on subsequent rewatches um that kind of analysis isn't necessarily what this episode is about uh, if you're interested in that i would definitely check out wisecrack's youtube video on the philosophy of neon genesis evangelion for that um but i think the fact that the show has so much thought behind it in every detail of the show and uh it's completely laden with with all of this kind of uh, textual analysis you can do really elevates the show and shows that there was a lot of care put into it. Uh, you know, mecha anime, anime after this would take note and go on to deal more with the human psychology of its characters, you know, as well as also mirroring the slimmer design of the mecha, um, even embodying some sort of personality in them, whereas Gundam mechs before had been purely. Um, purely vehicles, the mechs in the future series would kind of become more, have more personality to them. Uh, though I can't quite say any of them quite pulled off the organic mech nature of the Evas until Attack on Titan's Titan Shifters. Yes, Attack on Titan is totally a mecha, so don't at me. 
Um, anyway, about a dozen years later, uh, Studio Gainax would loop around and also, in addition to covering the real robot genre series uh, here on Evangelion, would cover the Super Robot series in Tengen Topagurin Lagan, which I talked about at the top of the show, um, utilizing much of the staff that had worked on the Genesis Evangelion. Again, another episode for another day. I promise I can't wait to talk about uh, Gurren Lagan. Um, back to Eva, uh, Anno so much leans into the psychoanalysis of his characters that his final two episodes end up being uh, a bit of an internal conversation within Sinji's mind as the final events of the narrative go on around him. Uh, in fact, in the original television broadcast, anime broadcast, the actual events aren't actually shown on screen. Uh, again, spoiler alerts for the last two episodes of the series, but eventually Sinji ends up rejecting a fall into despair and loneliness uh, that ends in this famous congratulations scene. Now, speaking of that congratulations scene, uh, the production of Neon Genesis Evangelion was by no means smooth. I mean, you know, there were definitely some action scenes, uh, particularly the one of when Asuka and uh, Sinji have to dance together to fight a mecha. Um, that looks amazing. Um, but, you know, as the series went on, uh, you can definitely tell that the production quality uh, kind of starts... Uh, deteriorating, especially with longer and longer uh, still frames and a lot more voiceover work. Now, while you know part of the structure of the last two episodes comes from Anno's interest in psychology and philosophy and wanting to psychoanalyze his characters, um, you know the part of the reason that they ended up the way they are also is just that frankly they didn't have time or the budget uh, really to animate any kind of really intense action scenes um, and this also came because Anno would take forever to just decide on what he wanted for the episodes and he wouldn't decide until the very last minute um, what it would have to look like so they kind of had to scrounge something up together um, it's kind of almost a miracle that this show got completed, you know, to the degree it did. You know, while the creative freedom that Anno had received from King Records uh, would, you know, allow him to use techniques and ideas from other shows, Gunbuster, uh, un Uncompleted Pilots, um, Nadia, Structure, stuff from there that he wanted to reuse again um, that, he, that had been abandoned, you know, that freedom also led to some decision paralysis on his part. All of the unbound freedom can definitely paralyze creativity. You know, halfway through the 26 episode runtime, the narrative, you know, the actual script of the show completely shifted away from resolving the action oriented angel humanity conflict in favor of more character based studies. Uh, again, with behind the scenes showing that the number of angels that they had planned out got cut down to what the final number ended up being. You know, as deadlines were scraped by and sometimes missed, you know, we ended up again with these infamous, famous last two episodes that doesn't solve the conflict, focusing on the external conflict instead of focusing on the internal conflict. Now, I need to do more research into the nature of fan participation and fa anime fan culture in, in Japan at this time. Um, you know, in this time, 1995 in the West, uh, you know, Gundam Wing, ironically, would be bringing mecha anime and anime in general uh, to the West through the Toonami cartoon block. But, you know, back to Evangelion, what I can find is that, you know, there was such investment in this franchise in particular that in a way that hadn't happened before previously. You know, Anno had said early in production, his goal was to attract a new generation of otaku fans to follow in the steps of him and his fellow Gainax co-founders in their love of mecha and pop culture and you know niche anime uh, most of the kinds of anime that had been present at the time at, uh, most of the kinds of anime that showed what they enjoyed had been OVAs you know kind of with the exception of Gundam uh, and most full television series had ended up being adaptation of popular manga um, and not really original series and definitely more geared toward kids as opposed to more adult audience um, 
And I think Ano definitely accomplished his goal of, of expanding the otaku fan base. Um, you know, tel- uh, television anime post-Evangelion uh, would lean into this new adult audience. I won't list all of the shows that were influenced by Evangelion here, but Dijine, Digibro, whatever he's calling himself now, has a great video about the lineage of anime post-Evangelion. Uh, and while you do still have series that are manga adaptations for children coming out today, Evangelion opened the floodgates about what kinds of show would be profitable and what kind of audience they could target and what kind of ideas they could control, could contain and still be a worthy investment for producers. So they kind of share the space with these manga adaptations and children's shows. You know, on top of that, uh, Anu accomplishes his goal of getting uh, more fan participation a little bit too well, I would say. Uh, the final two episodes received such backlash from fans over being an incomplete ending that Anu actually ended up receiving death threats over them, which is pretty extreme. Unfortunately, uh, sadly, not the only case this has happened uh, in the history of uh, pop culture. Uh, eventually, Gainax would announce and go on to develop a couple more movies to follow up the TV series. Uh, first would be a recap movie called Death and Rebirth that featured some new animation uh, for episodes 21 to 24 that would eventually be remerged into this into these episodes for what is known as the director's cut of these episodes. And then in 1997, uh, the end of Evangelion movie would come out to focus more on the external conflict happening around Shinji during the final two episodes. Uh, warning, it's super trippy, but I still definitely think worth worth a watch. Uh, you know, in this final episode, in this final movie, there are even sequences of a movie audience in Tokyo alongside some of the death threats uh, Anu will see flashing on screen. Uh, for a little bit more you know, talk about what this whole, you know, call and response between author, uh, creator, and audience. Uh, definitely check out Eric Malinsky's podcast, Imaginary Worlds, and their episode, I believe it was last year, about uh, Evangelion called Ends of Evangelion. Uh, you know, since then, uh, Evangelion has kind of gone on to become uh, the most one of the most merchandised anime series out of Japan. You know, not only with countless spin-offs in video games and manga and even pachinko machines, um, but also in corporate crossovers with various products and groups, uh, including a horse racing association and I think Shik uh, razor saving and just various fashion lines. Uh, if you have a spare hour, I would definitely recommend checking out Tim Liu's uh, high, uh, highly entertaining breakdown of the 37 Evangelion timelines from Crunchyroll. Uh, it's really good stuff. Uh, in fact, beyond the end of Evangelion movie, uh, Hideaki Anno would end up reviving the series in the form of the rebuild of Evangelion movies that retells the story of the television anime, um, but kind of like in an alternate timeline uh, retelling uh, with a lot higher production. It's done by Studio Kara, which is founded kind of expressly for the purpose of making these uh, rebuild movies. Um, and there were none of the limitations of production schedule, of television production. He can make these movies however expensive he wants them to, within reason, I guess, uh, on whatever timeline he wants to and release them when he thinks they're ready. Um you know, there is some fan conversation about if it's good, if it's not, if he should go back and revisit. If not, um, I leave those, again, to other more qualified YouTubers and podcasters than I. Um, that said, three of the four movies have already been released. Uh, the fourth one was due to come out later this year. I believe actually later this month, uh, though obviously that's been delayed due to uh, the various things going on in the world right now. Uh, to be frank, I haven't actually had a chance to check out these Rebuild series movies yet, but uh, they're definitely on my list to watch. So 
I know I haven't talked too much about the actual plot of Evangelion in detail or gone on full analysis mode with themes and meanings and subtext and whatever in great detail, but again, I'll leave that to the better YouTubers and podcasters uh, than me who can do that. Um, and on the other hand, on, on top of that, I think that this is a show that you should go into as blind as possible, really, despite listening to me ramble on for 20-some-odd minutes at this point about it. Um, you know, I think this is one of the shows where as you watch it and discover what's going on and develop your own personal relationship with the show, with the characters and the themes, you'll get so much more out of it as a result. Plus, if you're confused about anything going on, just find one of the YouTube videos or do the dives into the various fan wikis like I did to understand whatever the fuck was going on in some of that. Um... You know, I could also do the usual breakdown that most anime reviewers tend to do. You know, the animation, which is, again, pretty good, aside from when it kind of gets sits to bed toward the end. Um, the writing, which I think is top-notch and deeply layered and best in its class. The characterization um, of, of its characters, the music. Um, but while I think all of those technical elements are excellent, you know, I think Evangelion is a show that's worth watching if only, uh, and it's not just if only, but if there was one reason to watch it, you know, one reason you needed, the fact that it had such a broad influence on its genre and on the medium of anime and affected the way fans interact with um, creators, you know, regardless if mecha anime is your choice, regardless of if dark philosophical shows are your thing or not, definitely check out this show. And with that said, I think there are a lot of other reasons to like Evangelion than just its influence. Uh, if you're a little bit older than me, in your formative teenage years when this first aired and you were into anime, you probably could relate to the loneliness that Shinji felt and related to Anu's depression that he channeled through this work. And, you know, I think puberty is a weird, rough time. I don't think anyone's going to agree with that. And the latent psychosexual themes throughout, as well as the discussion of what lonely is, just can add to the appeal of this show. You know, there are arguments about who's best girl, and when people say that kind of determines like what kind of person you are between Rei and Asuka. Uh, both are wrong, by the way, about who's best girl. It's totally Major Katsuragi, though that may just be because she happens to be closer to my age at my first watch of the show, and I'm able to relate to her more, so... Again, make of that what you will. Uh, bonus points if you tapped into the latent queer subtext uh, between Kororo and Shinji in the latter episodes, though sadly this has been erased in the latest Netflix dub and sub along the original uh, ending song, Flying to the Moon. Um, but again, it's very easy to see how this show, with all its deep imagery and layered nuance and references, could especially appeal to a young nerd who wanted to be, you know, just a tad bit pretentious to his or her peers. You know, look how smart I am for liking this hashtag deep show. I don't think the show itself is actually pretentious. I think, you know, it just tries to be what it is. Um, they put clearly put a lot of care, Anno and Gainax, into the work. Uh, it just ended up being more than they intended because, you know, even beyond their own lofty goals, because of the fan response to this show um, and because of the impact it had. And, you know, again, it helped define the mecha genre, it helped redefine otaku culture, elevated anime in a way that few series have since or before. Um, so I think what Regardless of your age, regardless of whenever it is you're hopping in, it's never a bad time to dive into the world of Neon Genesis Evangelion.
congratulations uh you've reached the end of the podcast uh if you want to watch neon genesis evangelion uh you can watch the original 26 episodes including director cut versions of episodes 21 to 24 on netflix at least here in the states uh, you can also watch the movies death and rebirth as well as end of evangelion on netflix as well uh given that end of evangelion and the episodes 25 and 26 are meant to be taking place at the same time uh, my suggested viewing orders to watch episodes 25 and 26 before watching end of evangelion you can probably skip death and rebirth as the movie since it covers a lot of the same material and is essentially a recap movie uh, there are also the three Rebuild Evangelion movies currently out, with the fourth on its way. Uh, those are not currently available for legal streaming anywhere online, but there certainly are ways to find find ways to watch that. You know, again, I haven't seen those yet, but if I do and when I do, I may do another episode on that. In any case, I want to give a special thanks to all the YouTubers and podcasters whose analysis of Neon Genesis Evangelion I leaned on in making this episode. Uh, links up to these videos and podcasts will be in the show notes. These include Anime Every Day, Beyond Ghibli, Blue Nova, Bonsai Sword, uh, Brad, uh, Brett Sword, whose video is more about Gurren Lagann. It actually touches on Evangelion in a particular way, kind of about the relationship between the two. Uh, Dijani, Dijibro, however he, how he's going by these days. Uh, Eric Malinsky and the Imaginary Worlds podcast. Uh, S. Felectra, uh, Giguk, Tim Liu at Crunchyroll, and Wisecrack. In any case, uh, if you have any suggestions about the show or any thoughts, uh, please let me know at yetanotheranimepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at yetanoanipod. Uh, I'm also working on getting my mail up to date, so you know I'll get well, whenever I figure out to get that up to date, I'll include it in the show notes. Um, yet another anime podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Links in the show notes. Uh, please leave a review there or on Podchaser. You know, it really helps. Or maybe share the episode with a friend. Uh, the intro and outro music is provided by Suichi Sakagami on Tandes.com. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Uh, that's it for this episode. We air on the first and third Fridays of each time of each month. Uh, until that next episode, see you, Space Cowboy. Bang. Bang.